0: Hey, welcome to Urban Planning is Not Boring. I'm Sam and I'm Nat. Okay, Um. so we are so excited to have Magna Khanna on the podcast today. Um, She is the senior director of uh, the system wide team focusing on mobility corridors at LA Metro, which is um, the LA County's like regional transit provider. Um, She received her master of urban planning at the University of Michigan. And actually, when Natalie and I went to the APA Los Angeles Award Ceremony. Um, APA is the American Planning Association that um, Natalie and I have mentioned before. Megna was the keynote speaker at the event and she gave a really incredible uh, talk about gendered experiences on transit and kind of highlighting efforts that LA Metro has taken to kind of tackle these issues Some of them being the gender action plan and the understanding how women travel report and hearing about Magna's personal stories of using transit and how her experiences have kind of informed her work and been a catalyst for this work with LA Metro was so inspiring. And I'm honestly surprised it took us this long to kind of reach out and get this happening because when Natalie and I were there, we were both like teary eyed yeah. listening to this keynote, like, wow, this is amazing. And like the ways that you were able to kind of weave your personal stories into that keynote and also talk about the work that Ali Metro has done was just so incredible. And so we are so, so excited to have you. And if you wanted to add anything else to your introduction, please feel free to do that.
1: No, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I am really excited to be discussing the work I've been doing at LM Metro, which actually, like you said, is one from my personal experience. I'm from India. Taking transit in India is never easy, especially for women in on those crowded buses. And it's improved since I have moved here for like I've been here for 17 years. So I do hear things have changed for sexual harassment, the embarrassment, and then also the fact that you don't feel like reporting it because you feel you get victimized twice by the society, by people judging you, and nothing's going to come out of it. Mm-hmm. And I still feel like those experiences are part of everything I do. And now I have a three and a half year old <clears throat> girl. I take her on the metro system. And sometimes, you know, just because I've had those experiences, I'm so aware mm-hmm. of those issues on the system, I want to be like a protective mama bear mm-hmm. and just like make sure the system works for her and she can transit. And that's where I'll stop and get into the next part of the discussion. Yeah.
2: Well, I really love hearing, you know, just your perspective on, especially, it's really important to, in a lot of ways, to kind of understand complex issues from our own personal perspective. And Sam and I talk about this a lot. You know, Sam takes transit quite frequently. I used to take transit and had several very bad experiences and I decided to um, drive. Mm -hmm. And it's constantly this discussion where things are always happening on transit. And we want to, You know, really push for more people to utilize transit options. But then, especially for women, it can become even, you know, an issue of danger or safety. And so it's really trying to figure out, you know, how do we address these challenges moving forward to make sure that we are providing transit that really is not just accessible, but it's safe. And so I really appreciate the work that you're doing on this because I do think it's so important and we want to just start by kind of asking you if you you know can identify some of the impacts that you believe the history of planning have had on women's experiences taking transit and primarily we're discussing the fact that often you know throughout history the field of urban planning was typically you know cisgender white men and that is evolving but you know that obviously has informed the way that planning decisions have happened in the past and so we just hope that you could identify some of those impacts if there are any
1: right and maybe i'll take a step back and talk about some of the studies and work that have been done around the world Mm -hmm. and i think even la metro as we were doing a recent survey we and this is again, I'm talking a little pre COVID, we are still, you know, in the recovery period. So things are coming back and we are seeing those trends. So, all transit agencies around the world, LA Metro, we have seen that more and more women rely on public transit, right? Because, again, the fact that there's one car in the family, it's going to the men. Women are, again, uh, burdened by the fact that they are taking care of the children or elderly. So maybe they are in the part-time jobs, making less money. So that's where the stress comes in. And then they have to, again, accommodate for the needs of their kids and elders. So they're relying on the transit system. And just to give you an idea, even like pre-pandemic, our onboard survey showed that more than 50% of our riders were women on the bus and the trains. And these numbers to some people, you know, when I say it's 52% of women are are bus riders and 51% is train riders, it might not seem significant under the context we are in, but think about it, women made just 47% of the workforce. And again, we are seeing more women on the transit system. So again, the connection is, Women are in low-paying jobs. They're relying on affordable means of transportation. But beside all this, all these gender disparities and travel behaviors that I mentioned, none of the transit agencies have ever, ever collected or disaggregated data to understand how women are using transportation system. Isn't that bizarre? Like none of them have ever thought about. Okay what does this mean for women how can we disaggregate the data so that's where i think Metro, the reason for the work came about and i'll talk about it in a second and also i have to say going back that <clears throat> who's making our decisions right for the longest time how and by whom those policy and investment decision and transportations were being made it was primarily men, you know, predominantly male employee base at most transit agencies. That's where, you know, they were focusing on effectiveness. Let's talk about cost effectiveness. So all that comfort factors, all that reliability factor was being taken away as part of that value engineering process. Again, going through that engineering group, which is primarily men. So I think that's where the struggle comes in, especially speaking about transit. Uh, it's changing. I'm so glad. See, it's all women okay. in planning field, designing systems now. So I think it's the, it, the um, conversation is evolving. Uh, women uh, participation at Metro in terms of number of women in planning department has significantly increased. Our Metro board, as you know is majority women and very great leadership uh from stephanie wiggins who's our ceo again of women so i think things are going to change but we have to make sure that there are tools and right processes in place because when we get into the day-to-day planning of projects people are just trying to get through the process and they forget that these things are very critical. So we have to be mindful. So that's why we want to put those tools and processes in place, because I won't be at the table reminding people, oh, gender needs to be considered even when we are putting in escalators instead of elevators. So so those things I think has played a key role and the more voices like us can be at the table, that would be great.
0: Absolutely.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, and I think kind of segueing into the work that LA Metro has done, We were kind of wondering, obviously, like, as we were talking about gendered experiences on transit weren't necessarily at the forefront of any conversations, it was more about productivity and efficiency and, and those kind of conversations. So what was the impetus for these initiatives like the gender action plan and the understanding how women travel plan at LA Metro specifically? Okay.
1: So back in 2017, uh, under the leadership of uh, then our deputy CEO, Stephanie Wiggins, now our CEO, Stephanie Wiggins, and uh, at that point, our CEO was Phil Washington, they established a Women and Girl Governing Council. And the reason they established it, they wanted to analyze how Metro program services and policies impact the lives of women and girls in LA County. So it was a volunteer council. Uh, it's a diverse group of six three metro employees, contract, union, non-union, and everyone served the one-year term. So I was very fortunate to be part of that first council. And the idea was we were going to apply a gender lens uh, to three key areas. Metro, what are we doing as an employer to bring more women? metro as a service provider so what are we doing to make the system safer for women and girls in any county and metro as an economic development generator so how are we making sure women businesses again talking about those big engineering firms versus these small women-led uh, firms how can they come and work at metro so that was the whole perspective and that's how the council started and I was leading the council that was focusing on um, Metro as a service provider. So how can we make Metro systems safer? I had a group of 20 men and women. I want to mention men too. So they we were focusing on it. And I think we came up with these great ideas about relooking at Metro um, ridership model, travel demand model. And that's where my group reached out to different, you know, data, key data experts at Metro to figure out, okay, can we get data on how women are using our system? And unfortunately, we quickly discovered we didn't have enough data. We were collecting data. We were specifically on the onboard survey, which is, you know, the customer onboard survey, we were asking about gender. But then we were not disaggregating data to understand how men and women are using a system separately. Mm -hmm. And then for other areas, we weren't even collecting that disaggregated data. We weren't weren't even even asking that basic question about gender. So that's where it stood out. And we had to recommend to our CEO that the first thing we need to do and the key thing we need to do is understand how women are using our system So that's where this recommendation was approved by our CEO. And I was told to go get hire a consultant team and we started uh, uh, this study. And I have to say the onset of the study, this was a very unique study and nobody had even thought about it. So we needed a very comprehensive and creative approach to even understand and I think the key thing we did was from a data collection standpoint, of course, we used the traditional methods, right? We went to the National Household Survey, California Household Survey, but we wanted that qualitative data. I think quantitative data is great, but sometimes you want. So we framed our mindset that let's look at those core social justice principles and methods. We wanted to use the traditional data collection method, but we wanted to reach out to those hard to reach population, just to give you example women facing homelessness. Women with disabilities and women with varying immigration status so that's where we kind of uh, partnered with CBOs. so downtown women's Center and other groups in downtown we partnered with them. We did a very creative exercise of calling participatory workshops. And these were my favorite. We went into rooms and women also got their children. Uh, and we gave them like these little pieces to make a collage of what you feel when you travel on the metro system. Mm-hmm. And those stories were so hard I have to say, they almost like women facing homelessness. They treat the metro system as their home, mm-hmm. because that's where they're getting the respite. Mm-hmm. That's where they said they are getting some respect. So you know that was so great to hear, and they had really good points about what stops or what stations were not very safe. Where were the blind spots? Mm-hmm. Which stations the elevators escalators did not work on? You know, a monthly basis. So it was such a great perspective. Uh, on the other hand, we also did uh, we created this form ethnographic form where our team went out and started looking at the metro system and started observing so it is not stalking i always say that (laughs) we were just seeing when women enter a bus or a rail car where are they going are they going to the back of the bus are they sitting in the front near the driver if they're bringing on a children do they sit on the window seat or they're sitting in the aisle street where are they putting their strollers? Are they competing with that ADA space? So that observation was such a great way of just understanding that behavior. Mm-hmm. And again, I would say the minute they stepped out of the vehicle, we were not following them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and another thing we did was we did these pop-up opportunities. So our key transfer stations, as you know, Willowbrook, Rosa Park, El Monte, and then North Hollywood. We were catching people on the ride as they were entering or departing the station to just ask two simple questions What makes your ride or what made your ride um, great? And what was the issue that you faced? And we were there to jot notes. We had these banners, we were putting sticky notes, or people were just writing their experiences. So this was such a great way of collecting data. Mm -hmm. And we also did surveys, the traditional surveys, reaching out to like 1400 zip codes. We collected really, really good data, but that's how, you know, the understanding how women travel study came about. And I can take us just, just a moment to see if you have any follow-up questions or do we want to get into the findings.
2: So I'll just yeah, I Yeah, I think we would love to hear just what were some of the main findings of that UHWT report, um, also known as the Understanding How Women Travel report. I think that would be really great.
1: Great. So again, so we started with the National Household Survey, which is providing you perspective on across every mode, what is happening. And we've noticed for the general trends across all modes of transportation, women typically take more trips per day than men. But on the other end of the spectrum, women are more likely than men to make zero trips. So what does that mean? Women have more exposure to travel burdens, the cost, the stress, the safety risk, and more likely to be isolated or disconnected from opportunities that travel affords. So, you know, there are two ends of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. But when we focused on the transit trends, right, just looking at metro system. So, again, I would emphasize currently more than half of bus riders are women and more than half of our rail riders are women. And, of course, that's pre-pandemic. Um, women ride more public transit than men. And interestingly, over the years before pandemic, men kept dropping off our system and women ridership continued to increase. So overall, the ridership wasn't like going up, but women ridership was continuing to increase while men were dropping off the system. And I would say almost 90% of our female riders use our system more than three days per week. So going back, women are the most loyal customers of our transit system. Women are likely to trip chain. And trip chains mean they are making more stops along the way to their destination. And some of the reason being that they're dropping kids off to school, they're taking their parents off to the doctor's appointment, or their kids off to doctor's appointment. So they're making these multiple trips. So remember, this is really critical from a fair standpoint. What are they paying? how much time they're spending on the bus stop. So again, I would say uh, we also noticed that more women were traveling during the midday. Hmm. men are traveling during those peak periods. And if you remember back in the days, our service responded to that peak period, more frequency, midday frequencies were not great, but we found out it's not true. Women are traveling during the midday, pretty much the entire day, the frequency needs to be adjusted. And that's happened, so I can talk about that. I'm very excited. We worked with our operations group and they were working on restructuring the bus system and we have adjusted our frequency in response to that. And then last key thing in talking about transit trends, 57% of our women riders, they bring their children onto transit. So a lot of women are traveling with strollers or bags and carts and I am pointing some percentage, trust me. Taking a little one to daycare, you you can't even imagine the number of stuff you have to carry those diapers, those sheets, and you know, just <laughs> yeah. the of stuff, even the food. And I remember at that time, all the, uh, I was breastfeeding, so the pump, and oh, it was like so much. Like a friend would see me on the platform and she all the looked at me. She's like, Are you okay? Can I help you somewhere? And with the kid and the baby ball. <laughs> So yeah, so it's again, key things. I can also speak from my experience. But talking about safety, and I think Natalie, you talked about it. So safety, we did notice that was the key issue we saw across any way we collected the data. The people we surveyed included like current riders, former riders, or people who had never taken transit. Safety was the top concern. They kept saying, metro system we do not feel safe and interestingly 60% of female riders who participated in our survey they've said they feel safe riding the system during the day but that number falls to 20% at night so again you this was one thing which was like we knew about it but we didn't know the difference was so stark from night to day And many of them said that they don't feel safe waiting at the station stops. They don't feel safe traveling to and from the stops and even from our parking structures where we have parking structures. So safety is a key concern. And I have to say many women pointed out that they would like to see more presence of people on the system rather than CCTV cameras or lights. They appreciated the lights, of course. I'm not saying that they didn't want lights, but they wanted a person they could go and talk to or report to if they felt like an issue. Because they said the CCTV camera is watching us, but you know, if you're feeling unsafe, the CCTV camera is gonna take some time. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they talked about more presence, they also kept emphasizing, we don't want more law enforcement. Again, think about it. We are talking to people with immigration status, So law enforcement, our system travels to various geographic areas, blue line, green line, just think about those areas, even red line for that matter. So people were, more so women were concerned that when you bring on more people or more eyes on the system, we're not talking about law enforcement. We are talking about some non-law enforcement kind of. And this is where the transit ambassador program uh, came about. Um, That was the idea that came out of the understanding of how women travel, and now, as you can see, it's being implemented, uh, and I will touch upon that, too. So uh, that was safety, and then a few other things I just quickly want to point out, that metro female riders live below the poverty line at a greater rate than male riders, again, going back to the stress and burden and the cost. Uh, 59% of our female bus riders are below poverty line compared to 50% of male bus riders. And women are also, again, traveling with children. So that adds on to their burden. Mm-hmm. And at, that, at the time when we were doing understanding how women travel, our fair system for the children below the age of six was very confusing. So we've corrected that. We made revisions. Um, so that was another thing that came out of understanding how women travel, um, it was actually pretty much left to the discretion of the bus driver, uh, whether to charge because that again that policy was very confusing, so we have protected that and then last thing I would say, women are women are, are more likely to be our frequent riders like I said. But a monthly or weekly pass may save money in the long run, but women reported that upfront cost is too expensive. So yes, they'll benefit from the monthly or weekly pass, but that upfront cost was too expensive for them to just give that $60 in the beginning of the month. Mm -hmm. This is something we have addressed with fair capping. So that fair capping is rolling out and this will address that concern. Uh, And then I did talk about the midday, so that has happened, and I would just say last thing is, again, women did not feel comfortable riding on a system with the bags and the stuff they are carrying. Even the elder women, they carry the carts for their stuff, and there's no room on the buses. Let's not talk about the trains just for a second, but just the buses. And with the strollers, back then, our policy was fold the stroller before entering the bus. So imagine picking up your kid, juggling the bags, folding the stroller, and then entering the bus. We have revised the policy. So unfolded strollers are allowed on our buses, but once they get on the buses, there's no room. Where would you even find that room? The aisles are too narrow. So as part of the next step, we are looking at redesigning our buses to accommodate for us. So those are some of the very key findings, I would say. And uh, one key point I do want to mention, so think women are traveling with strollers, kids, and a lot of uh, baggage. So they use more elevators and escalators. So we need to make sure our maintenance are top-notch. Safety, security concerns are not tied to elevators. and then also they do use those benches and other seating at the platform. They do need that to take that break. Um, and then uh, elderly women, they said they actually reported a difficult time maneuvering with strollers and carts on our buses and platforms and sidewalks in general. So I'll stop there. Those are the key findings. I can keep talking about it as you <laughs> can see. I say one last thing and then I'm on to it. <laughs>
0: Um, yeah, I think that what really like sticks out to me from that is just the amount of like immediate changes that Metro was able to implement from the findings. Mm Um, I definitely, I take the Metro, uh, to work and school, Mm
2: -hmm. which are both
0: kind of in the downtown region. And I have definitely seen like an increased presence of like the transit ambassadors, which, at at some of the stations like definitely makes me feel like okay if I do feel uncomfortable like there's someone there that I can just kind of talk to and say like hey like how are you you know just and kind of just hang around and I do think that it is it does kind of leave this weird like okay we need more people at this at the stops but how do we like entice more people to ride before there's and so I think the ambassador program is a nice kind of bridge so eventually hopefully like uh, like eyes on the street eyes on the system will be you know writers and people that are utilizing but until we get to that point like the ambassadors being there and just kind of being those eyes and being someone that you can stand closer to if you're feeling uncomfortable or talk to is really important and and i think And my personal experience has definitely made me feel like, okay, even if I just have a question like, oh, where does this one go like northbound or southbound? And because I take the trains a lot, it's really nice to have those people around that you can just ask those questions to as well.
1: Right. Right. No, I I agree. And I think that's just some of the things that happened as we were, you know, working on uh, understanding how women travel Mm -hmm. and the leadership support has been great at Metro. So just to talk about like when we finished understanding how women travel, our operations group was doing this whole restructuring of the bus system. They were seeing the same thing, like more women traveling during the midday, they made adjustments. So now our frequencies throughout the day are consistent. Um, so that was a great improvement. Transit ambassador program, our security and safety chief at that point literally used to walk with that, understanding how women travel report and transit ambassador program was born out of that. And I think those were key things that were happening in parallel, Mm -hmm. but the gender action plan, which followed the study, and I can talk about that, is the tactical plan, which has now taken these findings. And now we have like these very specific strategies that can help address how we make the system more safer, um, frequent and reliable, and design a stop station vehicle in a manner that can you know work for women and the key thing is if we design it for women who are the most vulnerable we are designing a system that works for all so that's the goal of the gender action plan which i just completed and presented to the board in october of last year. yeah so uh,
0: yeah i think it would be great if we could kind of i think for folks who aren't aware like what that might be i know that you alluded to it just now, but kind of at a high level, like what is a gender action plan? And kind of, I guess in this instance, in LA Metro's case, kind of, it was informed by this the study, which collected a lot of really amazing data. And we're already seeing some of the immediate kind of interventions that have been put forward, but what is beyond like this this kind of overarching goal of making the system work for everyone, making the system work for women, what kind of went into creating this gender action plan?
1: Sure, so uh, so again, gender action plan is taking all the findings. Like we heard, right? System is not working or people are not feeling safe, women are not feeling safe, where can we accommodate the strollers? So we took all that. And then the key thing we did was we categorized our strategies. So we started thinking in these themes, safety, fair policy, service frequency, reliability, stop station, and vehicle design. So these are the four key themes that in the gender action plan, we are talking about gender equity on metro system in these four categories. And what we wanted to do was we wanted to focus specific strategies which are tied to these four key themes. But before we did that, like understanding how women travel, was more like we went out, we asked the riders what is not working. But then we also wanted to do like an audit of our internal practices that are in place. So we had gender experts, one from Canada, few from UCLA. What they did was they applied again this gender lens onto these metro existing programs, policies and actions. And we started identifying gaps. Just to give you an idea, we even looked at our code of ethics. Our code of ethics had several policies in place, which did not really meet the criteria of finding what findings were suggesting. So we had to adjust our code of ethics. So we did this whole gender audit uh, within our metro departments and then i think talking about how do we bring about change we wanted to think about okay say for instance i'm not there how do we make sure things moving forward we can institutionalize a culture of gender equity so we prepared a gender analysis tool and let me just talk about this gender analysis tool i know we're talking throwing in so many terms here so the gender analysis tool it aims at institutionalizing Metro's dedication to gender equity across future policies, programs, and investment. So this assessment tool is a series of questions. Okay, So it is like, how are you collecting your data? Are you disaggregating your data? So the first section just focuses on data. So any department, any program, they have to go through and say, yes, we collected data. We disaggregated data. What did you find? The second step is how did you engage these marginalized groups? Did you talk to them? Did you engage through CBOs? Are you going to reach out to them? And then the last thing is, so you've collected the data, you engage these groups, how is this policy or how will this policy be informed by what you learned from that data and from that personal outreach? So the goal is this gender analysis tool series of questions making sure every department can use it, and then we can report back to the board annually by saying that we use the gender analysis tool and all these different initiatives, programs, and policies are vetted through this gender analysis tool. So that's the key tool, but going back to those four themes, so getting into the specific details, and you can stop me if you have any questions, like for the safety strategy. One of the key strategies that we are coming up with is we are going to do a station stop design safety assessment with our women riders. So we're gonna go take them out and there'll be a checklist, but this is the input we are getting from them. Once we get the input, we are going to give it to operations group and system-wide group so they can make changes to the station stop based on that input. Another key thing that we are doing is we are exploring silent alarm. So just to give you an idea, when you are on a metro train or a metro bus, I know we have the app, but speaking from experience, sometimes there is an incident, there's a crazy person who's yelling at you, and I shouldn't call Casey, maybe some person having mental health issues, or they are harassing you. You want to discreetly report it. There's no time to take your phone out, take a picture, report it. So the idea is this is something Vancouver Transit is where there's a button you can press and that button basically alerts all the cameras or the cameras turn towards you. And it alerts the rail operating center or the bus operating center. And based on the situation, they can deploy security at the next stop. So it's a discreet way of reporting, again, just preventing that whole idea of women feeling victimized twice. So that's something we are going to do as part of the safety strategy. Another thing we want to do is promote a courtesy request to stop program. So buses have these designated stops, but during the night, bus drivers will be able to drop anybody closer to their destination. So making sure that area is safe and they can be dropped up closer, because again, that's the concern we heard during the night, women don't feel safe walking back and forth to the stops from their destination so the idea is they can be dropped in between so we are working with our bus operators on that manual right now we are also working on a metro employee travel partnership program so again like ridership or car carpool programs you've heard about this would encourage metro employees to just like share all their travel patterns uh, when they are traveling with the telework, it's been different days, different times. So people can team up. And again, it's like putting more metro employees on the system as well. Uh, and at some point we then need, will want to work with SCAG and other key employers downtown to encourage same travel partnership programs. New York did it and New York so, saw great success because again, it's like when you travel in teams or with friends, you feel more comfortable we are preparing a gender specific operator training bus drivers need to be aware of gender specific issues with strollers they need to understand it's not easy so we are doing that and then in addition to that we are improving our camera visibility and lighting i know lighting is key so if i don't know if you both have been to union station or seventh and street metro center station you've seen like the lighting improvements. So that is something we're gonna carry across our system. So those are, again, some of the very specific strategies. We are working on safety, talking about station stop in vehicle design, going back to the second theme. uh, We are working with our vehicle procurement group. We are looking at the buses and the rail cars. So as new procurement of these vehicles are coming in, we are looking at accommodating the stroller space. So the key issue we heard on buses, where are we putting these strollers that do not compete with um, the area space? We might be looking at mid doors so that strollers can enter from the middle and there might be a space right there in the middle for the strollers. So that's something we are working on. Uh, talking about partnerships, we do wanna work with say community groups or business owners or business improvement district so they can start adopting the station stops, bus stops. So this is where you know again, uh, everybody should take pride about uh, transit in their community. So the idea is a lot of transit agencies have done that. We will partner with these business groups, and they can take care of their stations. Other ideas is restrooms. That's a big issue, as you know. So we want to work on business partnerships. Uh, it's a cross promotional thing that we are going to do where we are going to highlight businesses that are near metro bus stops and stations where metro riders can get a discount and in return the businesses can let them use the restrooms because I know that becomes a very big issue but providing a restroom at every stop and station is can be challenging both from our capital costs perspective and also from maintenance and security perspective. So this is where we are looking into partnerships. Um, we are also looking at prioritizing our household serving uses as transit stations. So as we do joint development, we want to make sure our work on strategies where a childcare, a doctor's office can be co-located. Again, trying to reduce that multiple trips that women have to make. And I can keep talking, but please stop me. So these are strategies for those two themes, and then we will have very specific fair capping strategies to help address that multiple trips women are making in both directions. And also we'll continue to monitor our um, frequencies, adjustments that has been made during the midday. We will be doing a reevaluation of that by one year or so and make adjustments accordingly. We are trying to track where our women employment centers or where women are traveling and can we make adjustments accordingly. So that's in a nutshell, that's gender action plan. And these strategies, the goal is some of these strategies are short term. So I do plan to implement them in the next year take that back to the board and say these are the strategies we have implemented, just for example, the business partnership, adopter station program, short term strategies. Silent alarm is a long term strategy. So we're looking at three to five years. But the goal is to keep working on strategies, reporting back to the board while all departments continue to use that gender analysis, too.
0: That is really incredible. Like hearing about even, you know, I guess kind of adjacent to the service, but, you know, how can we make it convenient for people who are taking transit to, you know, reduce trip chaining so that we're, you know, we're putting uses that might be, I guess, cohesive near each other. I mean, even just like thinking outside of what you might normally think of with like, oh, like lighting and like safety obviously are super, super important, but also these other things that are kind of not directly the service, but like making, I guess, like the the system as a whole more user friendly and cohesive is just like incredible. I I just think that is something that I haven't really heard of like agencies doing all that much, and so I think that that really is amazing. Yeah.
2: It is. And thank you so much for just being here and sharing this information with us, because I do feel it's really important for more people to understand how women are traveling and utilizing transit, especially in Los Angeles, especially in the L.A. County region, because of the significant ways in which they do utilize transit. And so we just really want to thank you so much for, for talking with us and sharing this information, for teaching our listeners something new today. And if you do have, you know, any organization that you would like to give a shout out to that you think our listeners could benefit from, um, you know, obviously LA Metro is one that I do think more people should should understand because they're so impactful as an agency just because they cover the entire region. But if you have any other organizations that you'd like to give a shout out to, we would love to ask you to do so now.
1: Okay, and I would stay I would actually stay with the theme of the gender um, and the equity around and empowering women. Mm-hmm. So I do want to mention the downtown Women's Center. I know it's different from what you would otherwise hear, but I feel like it is the only organization in LA that is focused exclusively on serving and empowering women experiencing homelessness or women who were previously homeless. So I feel like I want to give them a shout out. They're doing such great work and just working with them on understanding how women travel and gender action plan. They were able to bring in a new perspective. So just want to put that word out there.
2: That is wonderful. Thank you so much. And we thank you again so much for being here and talking with us today.
1: Thank you. Take
0: care. Bye. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope that you enjoyed this episode of Urban Planning is Not Boring. If you did, please remember to send us to your friends and follow us uh, wherever you get your podcasts.
2: And remember, guys, urban planning is not boring. No, it is not.